on social media this week. Flags went up. What's going on? So we're excited to hear the details and why this Fuji camera was so good that one of the best in the industry has switched from Nikon to Fuji. The camera that I'm in love with, he's selling it already. It's been out for a year. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. This week's show was brought about by a newsflash that we saw on social media, where a colleague of ours, another professional photographer, had made the announcement that he was selling his Nikon D850 in favor of the Fujifilm X-T3 mirrorless camera. Immediately, questions came to mind. So thankfully, John Hafner and his business partner, Caleb White of Grip Media, have agreed to be on the podcast today to illuminate their decision and to discuss this exciting product. We had to fit in this additional podcast this week because we are so curious what's going on in their world. They are talented photographers, known them and their work for a long time. And on social media this week, flags went up. What's going on? These guys... <laughs> are selling, well, John was selling his Nikon D850. The camera that I'm in love with, he's selling it already. It's been out for a year. What's going on? And we know there are mirrorless camera options out there. And John and Caleb have switched to Fuji. So thankfully, Michael knows John and could make this setup happen so quickly so that we could bring to you some answers and to us what's going on. So we're excited to hear the details and why this Fuji camera was so good that one of the best in the industry has switched from Nikon and to hear the details. So welcome, guys. Thanks for joining Michael, Doug, and I on today's supplemental additional podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, John, give us a little background on yourself, and then maybe you could pass it over to Caleb, and let, and then he can also give us some of his background so people have some sort of context as to what you guys are currently shooting. We'll also share your Instagram and social media stuff at the end of the show so people yeah. can look at your work and your website and all that. But just verbally give us some sort of background as to where, where you're at and what you're shooting now. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'm a freelance uh, outdoor and commercial photographer. I live uh, just south of Missoula, Montana. Uh, I've got a grounding in hunting and fishing photography. Uh, I've been blessed to shoot a lot of commercial work and campaigns for brands in the outdoor industry for the past you know, 12, 15 years. My stock photography um, involves wildlife and sporting dogs and things like that. So over the past few years, I've branched out and I've shot more outdoor recreational stuff and tactical and, and Western lifestyle. But I think my, uh, my foundation will always be outdoor photography. My wife and I live, like I said, in, in Montana. This is the third time we've lived here, and, and Lord willing, we have dropped anchor. We plan on staying. It's an awesome place to set up shop and, and do what I do. So that's me in a nutshell. Uh, I started in the industry as an intern for Bugle Magazine uh, when I was in graduate school, way back in 2000 to 2002. And I can vividly remember sitting over a light box with a loop reviewing slides for Michael Morrow and Mark Raycroft. So that was cool. It's a long man. time ago. Yeah, man. Yeah, you, you guys were a couple of my go-to guys, and, and it was cool to be exposed to your work back then. And, and yeah, the industry has come a long way since then, but it was it was awesome to get that that firm grounding in Chrome and, and learn that a camera is a light-tight box, you know, and, and learn on film and 
learn some of the physics and the mechanics behind it. But yeah, my heart is in the outdoors. I'm from Pennsylvania originally, and I, I grew up chasing whitetails and turkeys and ducks with my dad in Erie County and and fishing for perch and steelhead and walleye on Lake Erie. So, and when I was uh, when I was very young, I met Charlie Alshamer, who, as, as you guys know, was just a oh, yeah. legend, absolute legend. So I was going to bring that up later today because he was we, a mutual friend, buddy. I was yeah. just going to touch on that, but yeah, well, he's a great guy. Let's expound on that later for sure. So, you bet. You but bet. he was my, my first inspiration, my first hero. So there you go. Cool. How about you, Caleb? That was awesome. Let's, how about, let's get up a little background from you, Caleb, because none of us know you. Uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the young gun of the, the crowd here. <laughs> so uh, like John, grew up in the outdoors, born and raised here in Nebraska. I've moved all over the state from Sydney back to Lincoln now. And uh, I've got a degree in fine art. Uh, grew up on film, uh, probably not as much as you guys, but you know, just in the beginning of the digital revolution, uh, that's where I picked up pretty quickly. So yeah, I worked for a big box retailer for over a decade and got to work with some really, really neat people. I traveled all over the world with John and, and guys like Deshaun and got after it with a camera and eventually you know, made the decision to, to switch over behind art directing and, and photo directing and brand directing to photography and teamed up with John just over a little over a year ago. And so my wife and I reside in Lincoln, Nebraska with two kids. Like John, I used to shoot Nikon, but uh, have switched over to Fujifilm for the last two years. <laughs> so that's uh, that's me in a it's me in a, a fifty thousand foot overview. Well being that you are an art director now you know what we all hate about art directors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. I can uh, I can see both sides of the coin. So that's, that's right. The, the benefit of uh, communicating on set, especially from a commercial standpoint. Uh, John and I do a lot of commercial work, but uh, it's always good to get away and photograph wild animals because they just don't talk back. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, that's right. Therapy, right. Pointing a big lens at big animals in big country. It's it's good medicine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be a good lead in because I watch your feed on Instagram, John, and I see these really cool pictures of your dog stuff and your the stuff you guys are doing for a lot of your big clients. And then every now and then they'll pop across a elk picture or a white tail picture or some sort of wildlife image. And then I've been following you and I'm seeing this Fuji film camera. I'm like, man, how's he doing it? I I'm super intrigued. I am really intrigued. I pack around so much gear and all these great big lenses and all this. Stuff. And then you see a lot of people running around with their little small form factor cameras, which are these mirrorless things. And I'm like, is it really, does, does him switching really mean that I can actually think about going that route now? So yeah. that's why I wanted to do this podcast. And we just wanted to kind of dig in and just figure out what's behind it. And is it really up to snuff? Is it yeah. We we respect your opinions. We respect what you bring to the table. So is that really something that we can all kind of look towards the future and say, wow, this is pretty cool? Yeah, no doubt. I, I think it is the future. I think in many ways the, the, the future is here. I can blame and thank Caleb for the, for the jump to Fuji. We can expand a lot on this, guys. I shot Nikon for the, the bulk of my, like the first 12 years of my career, probably. I, I shot Canon for a couple of years. I worked at Realtree, uh, the camouflage company. Did a bunch of work with Nikon and eventually, for political reasons, started shooting Nikon. Loved it. The gear is, as you guys know, is, you know, Canon and Nikon stuff is bulletproof. It's rock solid in the field. I love Nikon. You know, I, I love my gear. 
But over the past year or so, I've been shooting with Caleb. We launched a content company, a media company, about a year ago called Grit Media. And I was shooting these commercial jobs with Caleb. And I'm packing all this gear, this heavy DSLR stuff. And he's got these little tiny Fuji cameras and, and little glass and, and short little primes. And you know his pack weighs 20 pounds and mine's 40. And, I, you know, and I'm looking at the files as we're doing editing and post-production and delivering to clients. I'm like, man, this stuff looks really, really good. So I, it, the transition for me has not been an overnight transition. It's been honestly some back and forth over the past year. But I'm, I'm now 100% Fuji. As Mark said, I, I sold my D850 just this week. For the record, I know Mark's going to bring this up at length in the next hour or so. The D850 is a phenomenal camera. Phenomenal. Image quality is incredible with the grip and, and, and the beefier battery, the, the, the burst rate, the buffer rate. It's, you know, it's an incredible body. But the transition for Fuji for me has been, been awesome. It happened for a few reasons. One, to shoot with Caleb on set. We can share gear. Our deliverables for our commercial clients are consistent. You know, same color profile, same image size, same everything across the board. So total client consistency. So I think from a, from a just a, a nuts and bolts perspective, working with Caleb with our media company, it just makes sense in, in many ways for our clients to have consistent deliverables. But beyond that, I, I, I hurt my back on a photo shoot about a year and a half ago. I was shooting workwear. I had to climb to the top of one of those 300-foot wind turbines. And coming down, my carabiner stuck, and I, I slipped, and I probably free fell about maybe six or eight feet, and then the carabiner locked again. And so it kind of jarred my back when that carabiner caught the cable. And so you know, within a couple of days, my lower back was just, it was just throbbing. And I spent months just at the chiropractor and in quite a bit of pain. And so it got to be a, a struggle to carry a 500 F4 and a 200 to 500 zoom and two DSLR bodies and a battery of six or seven lenses and all that goes into a full DSLR kit. So beyond just the, the beautiful color and, and the great files that Fuji gear produces, I really do like the compact portability of, of the Fuji kit. I really like it a lot. Now that, that camera, and, and I don't know that camera specifically, specific camera you're talking about is what? We're, we're now shooting the, the Fuji X-T3. Okay. Yeah. It's, and it's a, so what, can you kind of give us like some specs uh, sure. on what that, you know, so we're comparing apples to apples here. Yeah, of course. And I'm going to let Caleb do most of this. He's been shooting Fuji longer than I have. And we can talk about kind of how he got me into Fuji and, and why, but the, the T3 specifically, I think they kind of, they found the sweet spot. I think it's a 26 megapixel camera. So for the majority of my clients, that's, that's plenty of pixel power for any print project that, that they're going to need. The files move quickly cameras buffer quickly. Uh, so it's a 26 megapixel. One of the neat things I like about this camera is the electronic viewfinder. So it's a, what you see is what you get. So you're looking through the, you, you frame up your shot, you're looking through the viewfinder, the exposure you see is what the camera is going to record, which is really cool. So much like a video camera. Yeah. Yeah. What you see is what you get. And so, you know, I can't tell you guys how many times I've shot like a bull elk silhouetted on a ridge line. And I'm a, I'm a couple stops under. I stop down and get a good silhouette. Then he walks off, and, and I want to shoot a regular exposure, and I forget to adjust. Maybe it's, I'm just absent-minded or, or whatever, you know, ADHD. But with the Fuji, now you're like, oh, okay, I, I got to adjust. And so what you see is what you get. It's really cool. We shot some bass fishing for one of our, our corporate clients recently, and we're shooting guys just, you know, going wide open on this lake in these bass boats. 
and I'm shooting like a 15th to a 30th, you know, panning, trying to get those really cool shots where the, the boat is tack sharp and you get that swirled background. And in the viewfinder, it, there's no blackout and you can see what you got. So like I shoot a burst of, you know, 15, 20 shots and I can tell, okay, there's probably three or four good ones in that burst where the boat's tack sharp. So, you know, as you're shooting, there's no blackout. Which is wow. which is pretty cool. We definitely have one of the the best viewfinders out there uh, in terms of just clarity, blackout period. It's it's unbelievable. Caleb, talk talk to these guys about the electronic shutter too, because you've done more of that than I have. I know when I've shot like pheasant hunts, I'll shoot the electronic shutter on the Fuji, and you can shoot up to one. I, I believe it's one thirty-two thousandth of a second. Yeah. So yeah. In many ways gone are the days of shooting wide open and needing like an ND filter or a polarizer to hold those highlights. Caleb has more experience with kind of the physics behind Fuji. You can talk more about that, but in, in my limited experience over the past few months shooting that electronic viewfinder, man, it's pretty cool. So the nice thing about one of the, at least the electronic shutter portion is, you know, Fujifilm has a mechanical electronic and, and on some of their cameras, a front curtain shutter too. And the mechanical goes all the way up to one eight thousandth of a second, which is what the majority of your pro bodies are doing. And then beyond that, you can automatically change over to the electronic shutter that bursts up to one thirty two thousandths of a second, which is really nice when you're shooting, you know, the 50 to 140, which is a 70 to 200 equivalent at two eight wide open on an elk. You get that extreme depth of field in the middle of the day it's it's really neat uh and so the need for a polarizer to compensate you don't even need it you can use a polar polarizer but man just to bump up to the electronic shutter and, and tune that in is just a game changer in terms of us being uh just using one body not having to stop pull off the polarizer uh, and just keep on moving and the camera will automatically do that for you if you set it up to so it's really oh, yeah. I have so many questions. So many questions. What's, <laughs> with talking about elk. I see wheels turning. There's a little bit of smoke coming out. I'm like, what's going on here? With, yeah, with I mean, the, uh, especially for a long lens, you know, 600 f4 or something like that. In the middle of the day, when when light is just poop, you know, you can you can crank that up and you can still shoot at ISO, you know, 100, 200, and still recover those highlights really, really nicely with the with that electronic shutter. So the dynamic range is pretty pretty good on it. It's it's on par. You know, I I originally uh, transitioned from the 810 to the XT1 when they first were just dabbling into the mirrorless game, and the XT1 was a 16 megapixel file. The 810 was, uh, I believe, a 36. Right. And dynamic range was on par. It was wow. the same same quality just with a crop factor and the crop factor was just a mental block to get over that's all it was um you know you you have that full frame stigma about cameras and you think you need to shoot full frame and that was just that was probably the biggest barrier to get over when switching over to fujifilm john and i are pushing and pulling these files and we're just seeing you know great quality they're staying sharp highlights are there i think you you hit the nail on the head caleb i think that the mental transition was was key for me. You know, it's obviously I, I took some some flack from my buddies in, in the Nikon camp and the Canon camp, and then there's those crazy Sony guys over here. You know, and 
it's it's Ford Chevy, it's Realtree Mossy Oak. Everybody has their brand preference, right? But I think once I got over, I'm not going to use the word stigma, but once I got over the just the the, the sheer difference, the, the physical size of these mirrorless cameras, and how small like the the 35 f2 is which is basically a nifty 50 in terms of field of view you know once you get over the um just the physical differences and you just really focus on file quality and, and fuji color profiles are incredible their film simulations are really cool we, we dabble with the, the classic chrome and things like that it just gives your files this beautiful look something else we've done too is you know, Fuji offers a mirrorless medium format kit called the GFX 50. And so we've shot the GFX. It's only three frames per second. So for a wildlife guy, that's that's a pretty rough adjustment. However, if you're in the studio or if you're shooting product or portraits, it's fantastic. My style, and I think Caleb's too, is is kind of run and gun. So with the GFX, it has forced me to slow down and be more methodical, more deliberate, Think about what I'm doing and then just capture two or three frames per second that are just beautiful. You know, I've shot some portrait work with with some folks and some kids in Africa this summer. And the the, the files are so rich and the the bokeh is, is incredible. The, they, there's a 110 millimeter F2 for the, the medium format Fuji mirrorless. It's just it's just butter. It's it's beautiful. So the medium format has been a nice addition in, in, in addition to the, you know, the APS-C bodies. It's a really nice comprehensive kit, and that's a 51 megapixel beast. It's, it's big, it's and sensitive. they've got a hundred megapixel coming out. And I think I've heard rumors about that. So it's it's like how quickly do you want to fill hard drives, you know? Right. But I think for the the majority of our client work, you know, we're shooting at a rifle range, you know, military, police, tactical. We're shooting a roundup or a rodeo or a branding with some cowboys or we're shooting wildlife. And so for the majority of our work, we're going to focus on the Fujifilm X series, uh, the X-T3, the, like we said, the 26 megapixel. And I think that's a pretty good place for, for guys who are primarily documentary shooters. I, I think it's a really good kit. I, I may be behind, behind the game here a little bit, but this whole, I'm still stuck at what you see is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will my, say, I, one thing to add to John about the color profiles, I've never seen skin tones as beautiful as Fuji's files. Right, in camera. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with their proprietary sensor. Um, you know, it's not a traditional Bayer sensor. It's still made by Sony, but their proprietary um, technology is built by Sony, and the color profiles are completely different. And the skin tones are just absolutely gorgeous. I've never had to... You know, I was working with Sony early on. I was working with Nikon. I was always adjusting color um, temperature and white balance just to try and get that perfect skin tone. Fujifilm, I mean, even if you just shot JPEG straight out of the camera, which I know a lot of guys have, just to get the skin tones, it's unbelievable. Wow. Okay, Mark, dig in. Right, buddy. Yeah, I, his head, Mark's head's about to explode. So I've got questions too, but I'm waiting. I'm gonna give Mark a chance to ask his because yeah. I see his ears starting to flap a little bit. <laughs> it's not quite at the level of pain here yet, but I'll just throw a couple out there. What are we looking at? I know our listeners will want to know as far as price point to switch and what are the lens options. So for somebody who does wildlife, when you're talking about elk, I mean the big lenses have always been so critical for our quality. How does that work with the Fuji system? What are the options and what's the price point comparison? Sure, sure. I, I have two lenses I've been using primarily for wildlife, one zoom and one and one prime. 
Fuji makes a 100 to 400 millimeter. It's a 4.5 to 5.6. Uh, I believe retail is like 1,599. Is that right? 15. Okay, so just say 1,500 bucks. 19. Oh, 19. Okay, excuse yep. me. So, so it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 on par with a lot of the um, the Canon, Nikon, you know, big telephoto zooms. Stabilized. Uh, it is high stops. Yeah. Uh, lightweight and it's razor sharp. It's really, really sharp. It's a, it's a really good lens. I mean, it's so field of view wise, it's that would make it 150 to 600 millimeter equivalent field of view in, in a really, you know, compact, lightweight package. I'm really excited about the new 200 millimeter F2. Uh, just came to market just a couple weeks ago. I got my copy just last week. Field tested it twice so far on, on pheasant hunts with my golden retriever. And so it's a 200 millimeter F2. It comes with a 1.4 teleconverter. So if you put, if you put a doubler on it, I, I bought the 2x as well. You're shooting a 400 F4 field of view. It's it's a 600 millimeter F4 equivalent. And they'll probably in the near future make a dedicated 2x converter for that lens, like the 1.4. I just bought the one they've had on 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 the market for the last few years. I took it to the took it to the Bison Range. I do a lot of wildlife work in Montana with the National Bison Range. Shot some whitetails with it. Again, 600 f4 equivalent. Pushed in really, really tight on the files, and I was pretty impressed. They're sharp. I haven't used the tripod, guys, in probably three, four years. I shot the Nikon two to five hundred. <laughs> yeah. What? My style is run and gun. I, the biggest lens I've ever owned with Nikon was a 500 f4. I would even just handhold that a lot. So I'm not a set the tripod up kind of guy. I'm, I'm like I said, maybe it's just the pace at which I'm used to working, but I know Mark's getting fired up here, but um, no, I'm on par. Yeah. I, yeah. I dropped the, the tripod five. years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, when, when I'm shooting, I'll, you know, I'll get out of the truck and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll walk a little bit and I'll, I'll find an elk or a deer or whatever the bison range or Yellowstone or whatever. And I've noticed that by the time the guys who are on both sides of me shooting, get their stick set up and their lens set up, I'm, I'm 200 frames into it, you know? And that's just kind of my, I'm not saying that's, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just my style. And so, in that regard, going from like a Nikon 200 to 500 zoom to a Fuji 1 to 400 has been pretty seamless. Okay. The 200 f2 again is going to be it's going to be an incredible lens for even portrait work. I mean, it's right. the bokeh is incredible. F2, it's a pretty awesome f-stop to shoot. We've shot it on bass fishing trips and, and other stuff for clients, but in the field, photographing wildlife, I'm not sure what it weighs, but it's, it's not much. Yeah, I mean, to have a compact 600 f4 equivalent. Lots of stabilization, five stops, whatever. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Well, what's good the uh, price point on the like the bodies right now? The T three, uh, what is it, Caleb? It's probably comparable to like a Nikon D five hundred, right? Is it is it eighteen hundred or sixteen hundred? Yeah, it's it's fifteen sixteen hundred. I mean, it's almost you look at it as almost a toy or disposable income when you're talking about a fifteen hundred sixteen hundred dollar camera. Right. Yeah, I mean, you you think, wow, that's like you're, you can't get the results out of that. Something that has a backlit sensor, you pair that up with a 200 millimeter, you know, you're only you're only eight eight and a half grand into a body and a lens like that, and you're half the weight, and you're shooting 600 millimeters at two two eight. I mean, that's unheard of. Right. So, so let me ask you this. So and 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 you you have to forgive me for not knowing a whole lot about you know, what Fuji's been up to lately, but what they have out now, is that, are they trying to satisfy the consumer market 
you know, just like the um, uh, the Canon 5D, you know, so that came out originally as a prosumer camera. And, you know, so are they trying to satisfy that consumer, prosumer market first? Or, and is there a, quote, pro line in the works? Or is this, are they just kind of doing everything across the board as a pro line? Because it sounds like it's got plenty of pro features, you know. I mean, y'all are pros, so. It's a great question. So they do have uh, a lineup of APS-C censored cameras. The XT series is their, if you want to say, pro series cameras, along with the XH1, which has five axis in body stabilization. Wow. Um, and so you've got basically the XT2, the XT3, and the XH1, which are your pro line wildlife sports photographers. They're going to be the, the higher megapixels, um, 24 to 26 and they're going to be the faster frame rate. And the T3 right now, with the electronic shutter in sports finder mode, shoots up to 30 frames a second. Jeez. Uh, which, is, which is nuts. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. It's, it's a machine gun. That's a roll of film in one second. That's <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quiet, too. So Jeez. if you're like blind photographing whitetails or turkey, yeah, it, it's so quiet, too. If you're in a blind, you're shooting turkeys or whitetails or whatever the case might be, it's, it's whisper quiet. Yeah, and you actually have to turn on a sound to hear yeah. the electronic shutter. Otherwise, it's just completely silent. You know, it's funny. I, I do a lot of uh, photo workshops too, still, and every single workshop that goes by, more and more people are showing up with mirrorless cameras. And you know, it's, it's amazing to see the transition between you know how many people are switching to to mirrorless cameras. And you know, I haven't. I, to be honest with you, I have just kind of taken it with a grain of salt, you know, and just like, you know, I didn't even think about this this yet. But talking about the silent thing, just uh, a couple weeks ago, I, was, I had a workshop and the lady was standing beside me and she had a mirrorless camera. And I was telling everybody, shoot, 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 shoot. And, and I didn't hear anything from her camera. And I'm, I'm like, Elaine, shoot, shoot now. And she's like, I am shooting. I've already shot over 200 frames. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, what? So it, it is crazy to think that these mirrorless cameras are, are nearly uh, silent, pretty much. So yeah. yeah, I think we can compare it to this mirrorless movement to, you know, when digital first hit the scene, you know, 18 years ago or whatever. I remember there were guys who just unabashedly just embraced digital full speed ahead. And there were guys who I think wanted to, but they were reluctant. And then there were guys who just dug their heels in the sand and said, no way, I'm, I'm shooting film and you guys can forget about it. Yeah, it was me. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it boils down to just personal factors. And, and, and you know, I think at the end of it, ultimately, it's, it's a personal choice. And, and it, this is like the next big thing now is, is this mirrorless movement. So I was not an overnight convert, but, but I've become one just after seeing the performance of these cameras in the field and not so much on, on the wildlife end, but more specifically just commercial work because at the end of the day most of my income is derived from commercial assignments with clients and so if my clients are happy with the quality of the images I'm shooting then I'm happy you know and so the camera's a tool it's it's got to it's got to make money and these cameras are there so yeah it's the next big movement i think that in the next few years more and more people are going to embrace it but it is interesting to see who's reluctant who's embraced it, it it's it's a it's a pretty cool dynamic right now to see what's going on I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. So 
like I said, I, I teach a lot of workshops and I keep seeing, you know, the mirrorless cameras pop up and it's every brand out there. I haven't seen a Fuji. I haven't seen a Fuji yet, but my biggest hang up on all of the ones that I have seen was that anytime a major adjustment needs to be made, there was not a button or a switch or something ergonomically easy to get to, to make that adjustment. It was this clunky, deep menu and people were losing shots right and left because they're digging through this horrible menu, trying to find something as simple as white balance, you know, or, you know, just, just something like that. And, uh, so, you know, what does, are the ergonomics? I mean, I understand mirrorless cameras are, it's a, it's a, not a lot of real estate on that camera for buttons and switches and stuff. So how has Fuji combated that issue or is it still kind of a, a work in progress. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I will say to, to, to that point, I when I originally switched over testing the waters, I picked up a Sony. And this is not to bash, you know, the, the brand or anything like that. But ergonomically, intuitively, I couldn't find menus. I couldn't find I, I was searching for stuff. It was it was exactly what you said. It was clunky. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking for menu items to quickly change stuff. And one thing I think you guys will like about the Fuji, even if you just rent one, is and I've got an old XT1 sitting right here, is is the dials are up top, just like your film camera, so you can intuitively switch uh, shutter speed, ISO, and then on top of that, the nice thing about the Fuji lenses is the aperture ring is on the lens; they're all on the lens, so you're switching right there on the go. And the bodies, in terms of how intuitive they are, it's the most intuitive body I've, I've ever picked up. I mean, you can you can pick it up, look at it, look down at your dials. Um, you've got EV compensation up top, shutter speed up top, ISO up top, and your aperture is just right on the lens. So you very know. similar to um, our original film cameras. That's right, it's very similar. similar. Yeah. It has a wow. feel, the buttons are tight, it's a magnesium weather steel, sealed body. I mean, I've dumped these things in mud and rain, poop, and and I've dumped water on them just to, you know, dump the mud off, and they still click away. That's why we call ourselves grit media. That these yeah. cameras look gritty. One of the cool things that the T3, and this might be a, a menu feature in previous bodies too. There's kind of a menu, like a little sub menu you can set up. So like in mine, I've got autofocus mode, autofocus uh, continuous custom settings, shutter type sports finder, the things that, that I would typically need to get access to quickly. So it's all right there. It's it's a it's a button click and, and, and a couple of toggles over and I can change all my main settings within a second or two. So it's all right there. Very yeah. cool. Good to hear. Wow. So it does a good job of combining technology with that nostalgic feel. I would I would say that especially the T series, the X T two, the X T three. Now that you get into the XH one, it changes up a little bit. But even the the GFX 50S and R, I mean, they're the same thing. And you just pick it up, and it and it feels it feels like you're approaching your subject matter in a, a more creative way. Like the tough part to explain it is like Sony is this high end, you know, electronic magnificent camera, but it, the faults are are so hard to get over of the menus and the intuitiveness. It's just it's not. It didn't work for especially for me. Yeah, so it feels more organic, basically. Yeah. 
yeah. If we can segue back to just you guys mentioned before about like price point and things. On the, this recent batch of gear that I purchased, I bought I bought some short primes, like an 18, a little 27 millimeter, like a pancake lens, a 35, and a 56. The 56 millimeter is an f1.2. The other lenses, I think they're all f2 and f2.8. So they're all fast little primes. Retail on those, I think the expense, the most expensive of those four would be the 56 millimeter, and it might be a thousand dollars retail, somewhere in that ballpark, you know. So. You know, and the other ones are obviously less than that. You get a lot for for a, a minimal investment. I'll say that for sure. The glass, and just to add on to the glass, the glass is sharp, phenomenally sharp. Fujifilm is is known for, for you know the Fujinon glass, but the coatings they use are much different um, than any other coatings I've seen before. Even compared to my Nikon, I was getting major ghosting. John and I notoriously shoot into the light. <laughs> and, um, you know, we yeah. can see flares and ghosting, especially, at, you know, two and, and one, two, wide open. Yeah. And you just don't get that with the Fuji glass. It's crazy. And it, it's just this short, compact camera that you're like, how is that even possible? It's like we're cheating at times, right? Yeah, like it, it is. It does. It feels we, like we're cheating. We shoot, like like Caleb said, we shoot a lot of, stylistically, we shoot a lot of stuff at like f1.2, 1.4, f2, just wide open, into the sun, backlight, even with strobes, you know, high-speed sync with strobes and things. So just having that quality of glass and having that electronic shutter and, and getting those super high shutter speeds in those conditions is, is really helpful. I, I guess what we're saying is that the Fuji setup really suits our style really, really well. I'm very intrigued the more I hear the fact that it's yeah. silent, the frame rate. And again, I'm still stuck at what you see is what you get. <laughs> well, <laughs> because I look through the viewfinder, you know, I've been shooting whitetails and snow this week and exposure goes all over the map, depending on how much snow consumes the composition. Right. So there's always that adjustment, you know, and I've got to take the images. I, take two or three or four, whatever, look at the back. Do I need to adjust or not? What's this whole idea of looking through and what you see is what you get? Yeah. I mean, anything that can remove a step from the process is significant as a professional because we shoot so much that, I yeah, I want to I do a test run. You know, I get there's this romantic feeling of, you know, not switching over to the electronic viewfinder. You know, almost the romantic feeling of, I'm going to stick with film. Because that's what I've shot prior, and that's what I know. But if you can eliminate, especially as a wildlife photographer, if you can eliminate two to three seconds, that's that's the world. And mm -hmm. if you can nail that shot right away, especially with your exposure, your metering, and you can just move, I mean, it, that's the that's that's the whole thing is with wildlife is you can speed nail it. speed right. speed of response is is very big deal. It's going to be weird though. I mean, that's. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of the very traditional manual old school bodies. I mean, I had them. I'm really young. It's hard to believe I had them, but I did. But that look, but it makes sense. It's common sense, right? The engineering, the design. So it is all evident. So it'll be a bit of a switch back and feels like you're holding an older camera, but you're not. It's this new technology. And I, I like John's analogy of when you, we switched from film to digital. You know, I did hold on for a long time. I wanted to make sure that whatever format we're delivering to the clients, they're happy receiving because it was all over the map for years, file formats, size and trust. Right. And then eventually I switched. I don't feel like this is as big a switch, but it's definitely significant 
the mirrorless functionality and what's what's available. So through all these platforms, all the different manufacturers that are engaging with it, but Fuji was not on my radar. So I'm this has been really interesting to hear. And and uh, go ahead. I've got I've got a, a question. My last question, and, and this question is going to come from, from the two people in Green Church. I want to know about video. What does the camera do video-wise? I'm yeah. going to let Caleb address that. Yeah, he has he has more experience than me. I, I've, I've dabbled in wildlife video so far with a 200 millimeter, but he's he has at least a year on me in, in terms of shooting video with Fuji. So, yeah, go ahead, Caleb. Yeah, so initially when Fujifilm came out, they weren't great on video. And, and just like any other, you know, just talking about the, the film to digital revolution, you know, there was a lot of steps that they learned along the way. The good thing about Fujifilm, and just to back up just a slight bit, is, is listening to the customer. So just backing up just a little bit in terms of software, firmware updates, Fuji over-processes yeah. their cameras and their, their uh, technology in the sensors. So what they'll do is they won't come out with a camera every six months to get you to buy a new camera. The T2 came out in 2014, and I'm just now getting rid of it because it's been so updatable. Fujifilm just keeps pushing software. So at first, it came out with 4K video. The tracking wasn't as great, and now they're coming up with, um, now they're pushing 4K at 30 frames a second, and they're able to do that through their firmware. So the nice thing is they overclock, they overprocess the cameras, and then they listen to the customers, and then they'll push firmware updates rather than coming out with a new camera to get you to buy something new all the time, which is really nice for us because I, I hate turning in a new camera and buying, having to think I have to have the next best thing. I can just right. rely on Fujifilm to have my camera that I bought be relevant for the next two, three, four years. In terms of video, they've gotten really, really good especially the last year. The T3, the X-H1 with in-body stabilization, they do have an MK cinema line uh, of lenses that are unbelievably sharp. They've got an 18 to 55 uh, 2.9, and they've got another lens that, you know, they're retailing for 37 to four grand. I mean, you can put those on your reds if you want. Right. But they, they also fit on the CMOS sensors that we're pushing. The colors straight out of the camera, they've got an Interna profile that is just unbelievable. They've got their own F-log. It's 420 in-camera, 422 to an external monitor. I mean, the dynamic range is is 12 stops. It's it's a great setup. It really yeah. is. Okay, excellent. So currently it's 4K30. Yeah, okay. yeah. They do have, they do have um, an option to I think stopped down to 180 frames per second. At 1080. Um, 1080, yep. So it's not. I mean, it's not going to compete with your your 240 frame rendering no, like that. No, no. But you know, it's um. So there are, you know, all cameras are tools, and you use certain tools for certain situations, right? And so there are actually situations where I would prefer using. LR for video than I would red, you know, so, you know, I, that's the reason I currently still have DSLRs, you know. Well, and I think too, if you look at the, Mark and I were, he was with me when I was shooting all this stuff for Animal Planet this summer in Alaska. And I packed the red down to where we were shooting and it's like, this is never going to work. I, it's just too much to get set up too fast when the situation was going on. 
So we marched back up to the truck. I picked up the DSLR because it's so much faster to use. And I knew I probably didn't need that slow-mo high frame rate. High frame rate. So it just worked to have the DSLR. So I think having, you know, now you factor in this. I mean, I could almost potentially take a red and this camera because I'm not packing so much weight. You know, exactly. just that small form factor, which really, that's what's intrigued me so much. And that's why I really wanted to have this conversation because I just, there's another guy that I know who was a Canon shooter, switched over to the Sony Pro doing big time stuff. And then I see John come across with it and I'm like, man, and I've always been that guy. I'm not that guy that sits back and says, oh, I'm going to wait to see if this works. I, I had the first digital camera Canon had, right? I was just like, I'm all in right away. Right. So it's kind of like bugging me right now because I'm like, eh, I kind of need to get on this train and I haven't. But, you know, I also, I have Nikon, I have Canon, I have Red, I have Sony, I have everything. It doesn't, I, like you guys said, it's a tool. It do, I don't really care what brand I'm shooting. I just want the most effective tool for that particular job. So backing up too, I think you guys were saying something about the stigma behind um, the crop sensor. For wildlife guys... We love that. We embrace that, right? Because you're just, you want. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. So having that option, I don't think is a bad deal at all. As long as the image quality follows that, right? Because yeah. the minute you start cropping in on the sensor, Doug and I were talking the other day about red. And I have the 8K Monstro VistaVision sensor, right? But I've Doug is actually doing a little investigating for me because that may not be the necessarily be the place where it's the best sensor quality at 8K. It might be better at 6.5K. It That's might right. be the best at 4K. Who knows? I mean, he, we're going to try to figure that out and see. You know, I haven't done the test to actually see where it's at. But so I guess my point is, as long as that quality is carried through with that crop, who cares? Yeah, exactly. You know, Caleb's pretty humble. I'll, I'll tell this story. So in terms of Fuji's quality in terms of wildlife photography earlier in the year he was a finalist caleb was it the was it the sony world yeah. competition what, what what was it specifically called i forget the name of the competition sony world organization yeah okay so he he went to new zealand a couple years ago and, and came back with these incredible uh red stag images all of which were shot with a fuji xt2 and the 100 to 400 millimeter lens we referenced earlier the 4.5 to 5.6 probably some with a 1.4 converter, many, many would not, but just this little itty-bitty Fuji zoom lens, prosumer zoom lens. And he ends up being a finalist, I believe, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe he was the top American finalist with a Red Stag image wildlife category in the Sony World Photo Competition. So fantastic image, fantastic quality. Yeah, so that, that, that right there, that told me that, you know, there's people with very discerning eyes judging these images. The quality is there. So if it's good enough for that, it's good enough for the, the elk and the, the sheep and the turkeys and the bears and, and, the, and the moose and the things I shoot. So, yeah, it's phenomenal. That's yeah, awesome. The quality yeah, congrats, is congrats, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the days when I shot the Nikon D5, as you guys know, like high ISO, there's probably nothing better than, than a D5. I've pushed a T3 up to like ISO 6400 with, with, with the results that please me. I think that's a sometimes a personal choice. Some I, I'm I personally I'm not a pixel peeper. I, I never have been. If the client doesn't sorry, complain, did you say pixel peeper? Pixel peeper. Yes, sir. You did say pixel peeper. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I heard that correctly. Okay. You, yeah, not pixel creeper. Pixel peeper. We're gonna have to edit that out. No. 
you guys know what I mean, though. I'm not one yeah, to, yeah, like, for sure. scrutinize yeah. my styles. And so right. you know, yeah. if, if, if the T3 can hold, it can hold detail and, and good shadow detail at, at ISO 5000 or 6400, that's probably all I need. I, I think I sold an elk image to Outdoor Life a couple of years ago that I shot at like ISO 12,800 with, with a D5, you know, and that blew my mind. That, that was crazy. You know, you could photograph a Sasquatch in a cave with that camera. You know, it's, you can push it to, what is it, Mark? Like ISO 3 million. I think that's, you can. That's it. one of my goals, John. Not in the <laughs> cave, just the Sasquatch. That's my <laughs> retirement plan. Let's, let's go halves on yeah, that. Yeah, same here. <laughs> West Coast, I'm heading there. Um, hey, if you need a, 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 a PA, let me know. I'm in. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, to see Caleb's images rank that highly in, on the world stage with with a mirrorless camera was was really cool. That's awesome. How how would you say it compares to the 850 for a high ISO? Then I know you're comparing to the D5. So would you say at 1600 ISO, for instance, even field? Even? I, I would say so. Yeah. I, no. Yeah. In fairness, I've had the T3 for three or four weeks. So you know, I, I put it through its paces to some extent. But yeah, I would say it's right there with the 850. Yeah. It, to me, the 850 clearly is not the D5 in, in terms of high ISO performance. I feel just, that way. I hadn't I noticed that. I thought the 850, well, actually, I can't say that. I haven't shot the D5. I read all the reviews on the D5. I had a D4S and then I got the 850. I felt okay. the, D, the 850 was better than the D4S just from what I was looking at and might just be the sensor size and dynamic range and yeah. power of that. But right. it seemed it seemed crisper at at a little bit of a higher ISO. But I'm not one to go off the charts. I would love. I mean, every model that comes out, I'm hoping I can get another thousand ISO and feel comfortable with it. Sure. Right. Sure. So, but yours. So you thought the D5 was better than the the 850 for? Of high ISO, I did. Yes. At, even at like at something at 1600 or 2000. When did you see it switch out? I think it. I think I started to see significant differences um, above like 5000. Above five thousand, like really high, okay. like really high, okay. like sure. like last light or first light type stuff. Right, yeah. and so Fuji's at least on par, you'd say, with that. In my experience so far, yes. Yeah, so far, yeah, okay. it's on par with the, with the D eight fifty. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. So, could you guys just, uh, and maybe John, you're probably better to answer this one than Caleb, just because you had the DSLR so or the the bigger format stuff so recently. What? Would the pounds of your pack be with a system that you're taking on an assignment in, a, say, the D850? And then what would the pounds be on your current system if, of your pack? I mean, are you saving five pounds? Are you saving 10 pounds? Or, you know, is the form factor so much smaller that you're getting a smaller bag? You know, we all travel with so much gear all the time. Right. That makes yeah. a huge difference. And I really am in, you know, that's one of the main reasons I'm intrigued. I think it's a huge difference and, and not having put my pack on a scale, I'm, I'm just, I'm spitballing here, but I would say it's in the 15 pound range overall weight savings. Um, I, I have a very small click elite pack. It'll hold, it'll hold like two XT threes and four or five small primes and a very small briefcase with my MacBook pro batteries, cables, chargers, that, you know, that kind of stuff. So I would say that my my Nikon pack was probably in the 35 to 40 pound range, and I'm probably in the 20 pound range now, low 20s with Fuji. It's it's significant. My my back issues notwithstanding, it's it's significant. Yeah. Then it's, what the other thing that is a common that I hear commonly across all brands, batteries. You know, I know yeah. for a long time yeah. Sony was like the batteries were horrible. You would just chew through batteries. And then, you know, you're starting to lose some of that savings because you're having to have so many batteries. 
What is the battery performance on the Fuji? It, it's definitely less. It, it's shorter than a DSLR. I mean, you know, full disclosure, yeah, it's it's a shorter life span uh, for the battery. But the T3, you can, you can hold one in body and two in the grip. So it's three batteries. I find that a full day of commercial shooting, you know, I shoot a lot, you know, on a busy commercial documentary shoot, if it's bass fishing or an over-the-shoulder bow hunt or, or whatever, the, whatever the, the scope of the shoot is, it is not uncommon for me to shoot four, five, six, even 7,000 frames a day. It was just a lot. It's a lot of it's spray and pray. You know, it's, it's a lot of fast paced documentary stuff. And it's been, it's, I think in every case, I've been able to get through a full day with those three batteries. So it's not bad. Yeah, they, they may have less life than a DSLR battery as far as daily use, but they're less expensive. So I, I can carry, you know, I think I carry maybe nine or 10 batteries in my pack. And it still weighs less than four or five DSLR batteries. Yeah, the batteries aren't that big. No, they're um, tiny. You can, get, you can probably get 400 shots, four to 500 shots out of one battery. And when you put them, when you put the battery grip on, um, yeah. you know, I'm easily getting 1,500 shots, something like that, maybe a little bit less. But yeah, like John said, I think this last shoot we maybe captured 20,000 images in two days, something like that. A lot of underwater stuff, a lot of uh, running and gunning speedboat type stuff that we're just shooting 30 frames a second just filling up cards and they hold up i mean uh, they're a lot better than what they used to especially when they first came out i was only getting maybe 250 shots out of the battery um especially with the electronic viewfinder i think that takes up a little bit more sure, uh, sure. you're having oh, it's basically a miniature computer screen really so i'd make that trade off a bit yeah battery it's, life for the electronic viewfinder yeah it's, yeah it's not, it's not, it wasn't a hiccup for me. You know, I just carry an extra battery in the pocket. It's that's the least of my concerns. And I learned not to keep my camera on all day. And I think that's the biggest thing for a DSR. You can, you can keep that camera on all day and it's not going to take up any juice. You know, with the, the mirrorless, I just shut it down when I'm, when I'm done and turn it back on when it's ready. So as far as the autofocus, I have another, you know, another question in relation to the autofocus is, on the 1DX Mark II that I use, I've got the touchscreen autofocus if I want to when I'm following stuff around the screen. And it really depends. Wildlife is really tough. If you don't have a lot of contrast, if you're shooting a brown bear and brown vegetation or through trees, it, it, it's, it's hard to lock on. How does this work? Do you, is it a touchscreen? Can you just touch the viewfinder and, or the screen on the back of the camera and, yeah, and it'll lock on that way? Or how does that work? You can set it up a multi in terms of video or photos. You can for the T3 and the XH1. You can do, both do that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It also has a, a joystick that you can move with your thumb, or you can touch the back of the screen if you want. You can turn it off and on. I honestly, I turn the this touch screen off on my camera just because that's what I'm used to. But you can touch the screen and it'll track really, really well. Especially with the autofocus updates from the T3, um, tracking is edge to edge, and it's quicker than um, just on par with the D5. I would say John maybe can test to that, but um, it, it is, yeah. So Caleb and I shot some whitetail images uh, two months ago, a month and a half ago in Michigan. One of the guys had his his black lab pup there, so it's not. This is not, definitely not an apples to apples comparison, but I had rented a D5. And I had Nikon's new 300 millimeter f/4, that short little compact 300, 
and we stacked that up against the Fuji X-T3 with the 200 millimeter F2. Um, I wanted to see how the focus, how the autofocus hit rate would be from Fuji to Nikon. Cause I, you know, I really was still kind of thinking, okay, for, for fast action sporting dog, I'm shooting a pheasant hunt or a duck hunt, dogs retrieving in the water. I might stick with Nikon for, for, for those types of shots. And I, I shot the, the Nikon, Caleb shot the Fuji. Then we kind of switched off and the, the focus hit rate with the Fuji was, was right on par with the Nikon D5. It was, it was right there. I was impressed. Um, as I said earlier, I, I took my golden retriever on a pheasant hunt over the weekend and all I shot was the T3 Fuji with the 200 millimeter F2, uh, no teleconverter, just, just the lens. And I was pulling selects yesterday and I, I I didn't quantify, but I, I would say that the focus hit rate was upwards of 80% on, on, on a retrieving dog in tall brush. Uh, does a good job of ignoring obstacles in the foreground and just tracking focus on your subject. So um, in my experience, that's right on par with, with anything I ever shot with Nikon on, on, a fast, cool. on, a, on a fast moving subject. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a sporting dog can be very erratic. At least my pup, he's not a straight line and, and straight back. He does, you know, for every mile that I hike, he probably runs 20. So it's uh, it's cool to have the assurance that as he darts left and right and there's brush in the way and things like that, that the camera's going to track him and, and do a, a more than adequate job. Very Mark, cool. what are you thinking, Mr. Raycroft? Oh, I'm just, as you know, Ron just texted me, uh, our other co-host yesterday, about the potentially this news flash that Sony's coming out with this, this new huge monster sensor camera that can shoot 8K. Another mirrorless, right? This is rumor that's starting to spin. I'm just a little dizzy with all this, the speed of technological change right now, but it's so exciting. The capabilities expand as photographers, you know, anything that increases our success in the field, it's, it's, it's important, right? So I'm, I'm very intrigued by everything I've heard from you guys today. Yeah, it's a very exciting time. You know, it's, I think for me, it comes down to, do I want to feel like a mechanic or an artist? And, and, and for me, I'm, I, I consider myself more of an artistic photographer than a, than a technical guy. I'm not a, a gadget gear kind of guy. So for me personally, I think Fuji's hit that sweet spot where there's some, there's some mechanical control, there's some cool new tech features, but I still feel like an artist. You know, and for me, as a shooter, that's always been important. Yeah, I've seen that. Your compositions are great. I, you know, you've got a great eye. It's a lot. Thank you. No, no I, I've always enjoyed your work that way and can tell. And that's why you're so successful commercially. But, you know, and, and I, I just, I love the 850. I, I've had so many cameras all these years. And it's the yeah. first camera that I can shoot a horizontal and crop a vertical and put it on a cover. The sensor's so big, you know, the yeah. options in it yeah. and the dynamic yeah. range. But it, at the same point, this technology is changing at such a rapid pace. Mirrorless, yeah. silent frame rate, see what yeah. you can get, you know, you, yeah. what you see is what you get. Those three things right there, I have. To, I want to try one on. The word game changer is cliche, but I mean, for yeah. in many ways, it truly is a game changer. You know, it, you know, full disclosure, your D850 might be the last camera that you personally ever need. That, that's that's your decision based on what you need. And if you're selling prints, are, are, are you selling stock or are you, are you, is it commercially driven? You know, what, everything, what, man, do it all. Right, exactly. So. You know, I've read where guys have said the D850 is the last DSLR they're ever going to buy. Well, you know, 18 months from now, those guys might be singing a different tune when there's a 78 megapixel, 20 frame per second beast. Who knows? You know, I just I'm a little tired of filling a, a, a two terabyte drive every couple of weeks. These 26 megapixel files for me are perfect. I can edit through them quicker. I can I can output my selects quicker, um, filling drives a little bit less quickly. I like it. 
I'm, I'm really happy with, with where I'm at with this, this new camera kit. It's, it's great. But yeah, the, the 850 is a great camera, man. You've got a tough decision ahead of you, you know? Well, you know, that's what I was saying to my wife before we started today. We were discussing this, and I'm like, I don't need it anymore. I'm so happy with this camera. But it's it's the the advances, anything that can give you an advantage in the field, just yeah. that frame, frame rate. And again, not taking the time to check exposure by always looking at the back of the camera after every five frames yeah. saves time. It and, does. you know, when you get that rare opportunity, whether it's some kind of rim light on a mountain edge with some crazy animal scene or a fight scene that frame rate is a big deal too you know and, and the d850 pulls it off yeah. but i would love to have 30 frames per second or whatever this one's capable of for those unique scenarios so anything that increases our parameter so yeah i'm it's not a tough decision it's like switching to film to digital i mean <laughs> and i don't want to make that seem like the 850 is dated because in my mind it's not but this new technology i mean anybody who is an artist like you say and wants to create as great a work as they can with their photographs or video have to pay attention to these advances why wouldn't they that's right so yeah. fuji has never been on my radar but yeah i'm I would say rent one rent one for a lengthy at yeah. least a week out in the field right. a couple and, weeks and just dive all in leave your nikon gear at home and mm -hmm. dive right into renting at least for a minimum of five days. And I'll take that okay. first day to kind of get over mechanically how it works and yeah. you start to move little things. But um, We'll be your Fuji hotline if you have issues. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I appreciate that. How do you turn the damn thing on? I have two more questions. One was... I, we were shooting a project here in the studio the other day for a, a client and we were doing a bunch of stop motion stuff. So we had this camera mounted above and you couldn't really get up there because it had to be right over this table and we were doing the stop motion thing. We were using a Sony and I had the app. It was super cool. I could just sit back and I didn't even have to look at anything. I could adjust everything. I could do my focus, everything. Does Fuji have that? Yeah, it does. Uh, I would say coming from Nikon, I never used the Sony app. But coming from the Nikon app, it's 200% better. It is. It works really, really slick. I've had um, a camera down on the edge of the water, where you know, I, you know, it's just hard to manipulate. Um, it does have the flippy screen, which helps. But being able to just adjust everything from the app and transfer photos, it works really, really slick. It's probably one of the better apps that I've used. So does it transfer? Like, can you set it to be? sending pictures to your phone, just like small JPEGs or something to your phone. Yeah. So for social media too, right? That's kind of cool. Cause then you have it right away. If yep. we're in a, on a one DX, I have to go put them in the computer, yep. use my airdrop. I'm, you know, it's taking me a lot of time, but if I can just do it immediately and that's what we did. So when I was testing these stop motion pictures, I had them all on my phone. So I could just like scroll really fast through my phone and I'd see if what I was doing was working the way I wanted it to work. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. So that's good to know. And I think I operate my red that way a lot where I have the app that I can adjust everything. And a lot of times in the field, that's just, I can make the camera lighter because I don't have to have all this extra stuff on the camera. I use the app. And then as long as I have pretty consistent light, I don't have to make too many adjustments, but I have the ability right on my phone to do it. So, and then the second question, I don't know which one of you guys picked up your camera, but I just saw it on the, on the screen. It looked like you guys had a plate on it. One of you guys had a plate on your camera. Is that 
Absolutely. Pretty so. common too. Can you find these plates like really right stuff or whatever? Are they making the L plates and yep. you know, you've got all the stuff. Cause I, I rely a lot on that. Just making all my cameras the same structure so that when I'm using tripods or, you know, I, us video guys, we still have to use tripods, not yeah. you guys, but we, <laughs> that's a bummer. <laughs> now I've got a couple different plates, small rig makes, makes some video cages. I mean, you can find all the video cages and still the plates, the L plates, the brackets, um, even underwater housings, you know, I'm running Aquatech, um, and I'm finding a lot of the same stuff that you can for all your other regular cameras, accessory wise. That is awesome. I'm so glad we had this conversation because like I said, I've just been so intrigued for so long that not so long, but a year probably that I've been thinking about it. And then what really threw me over the top is I see what you're putting on, on your Instagram account, John. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, we got to got to figure this out. I got to talk to some people. And this is how I do it. I just like to talk and like to figure it out. And then, like you said, you can go rent one. But in today's world, I mean, if if the bodies aren't that expensive, I mean, no, you can buy one pretty cheap, right? You can. I mean, and, and I get it. It's there's some psychological trauma when it comes to <laughs> switching your, your whole system over from one brand to the other. It's like, man, I've got all this stuff. How can I offload this, cut my losses, buy into a new system? And you know, it, I was showing Caleb the numbers I mean, I've had, I've been buying and selling gear all year. It's been, it's been chaos. But if, if I look at the bottom line, I mean, i it hasn't cost me anything. I, I probably made some money when it's all said and done, you know, because the, the Fuji gear is just priced so well, you know, for, for the price of the T3, I, I, I can buy two, maybe three bodies and have a couple of backups or, it, you know, it's, it's that it's priced that well. So it, um, you know, again, for me, the transition definitely was not overnight, but, I, but I'm, I'm really grateful and I'm glad that I've arrived at the point that I'm presently at. You know, it's, it's, it's a lighter kit. It's way more portable. There are some, some seasons where it's, it's a commercial shoot nearly every week. So you're living out of airports and you're just running and gunning and, and booking flights. And so to grab a 20 pound pack and just run is, is, it's nice. It's really nice. Even from the medium format perspective, you look at the you look at the dollars on a medium format camera from Fujifilm, and it's competing yeah. with you know twenty thousand dollar Hasselblads. Yeah. Um, you know you're only six grand into a body, which is crazy. You know I'm only ten grand deep into a medium format kit, a body and two lenses, which is yeah, that's that's small. Yeah, yeah. Fuji came out with the. Um, a rangefinder style 51 megapixel medium format too. I think it's a GFX 50R. So that'll be the next one that we demo on, on a shoot and see how that does. So that might be my next purchase is more medium format gears. And it's always, even, even now it, it, it's always something what's next. What's the, the next best thing. And you know, <laughs> it does, it but, does uh, not stopping. It's speeding up. Yeah, that's right. It's never, it's marketing 101. Yeah. It's never going to end, but, but uh, yeah, it's it's a good place to be. Um, it, it's been good. It's been great to to partner with Caleb and, and see what he was creating in camera with, with the Fujis, and then to to have a consistent kit now for our, our our company. It's been good. It's been really good, man. I'm I'm, I'm glad that that I made the jump. Okay, we'll see. now I got one more question. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you've been on the buying and selling train all year, right? So yeah. Is that? I see a lot of your stuff. I'll be watching your Instagram account, and you'll you'll put up a picture. Hey, I got this camera. I got, you know, whatever, whatever the particulars are about the camera. You're like, here's the price. Are you having success on Instagram or what's the best way uh, to sell this gear? I mean, you've been selling so much. 
full disclosure, no, <laughs> very little on Instagram. I've sold maybe three lenses through Instagram. I work primarily when I'm selling gear, um, I'll work with a camera broker like KEH or MPB. Um, they make the process really simple. You, you know, you submit a quote, you judge the quality and then you send the gear, they assess it. If they agree with your assessment, you get the price that they, they agreed to. If not, they might, they might ding you a little bit, but it's, it's a couple hundred bucks. It's not thousands, you know, and then you get it, you get the money deposited in your, in your bank account within maybe five, seven days. It's pretty simple. So my sales have been, you know, 25% private and, and probably three quarter to places like MPB or KEH. It's, uh, it, I, my wife and I were just talking about this a couple of days ago with my D850. I, I posted it and I waited a few days, didn't get any feedback on it, shipped it off to, to KEH. And then I, I checked my Instagram messages within a few hours. I had like six people asking about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's funny how instantaneous the pace of life has become, and how oh, yeah. how fast like everybody wants their their pictures yesterday. So on social media, you're in this mindset where okay, I posted it. How come nobody wants it? You know, within hours, like this thing should move. It's a D8. <laughs> come on, you know, like why is it Mark Raycroft calling me? <laughs> um, but I just I wasn't, I wasn't I'm not a patient person, and in this case, I should have waited a couple of days. So I, I I'll make a little bit less than I could have, but. I cut my losses. It is what it is, you know. Well, it's the cost of doing business, right? Not That's right. You just got to factor that in. That's right. Cool. Well, I'm I'm intrigued. I want to go. I I wish today was Monday so I could order. A, you know, tomorrow's the weekend. I can't have it. You know, I got to wait till Monday or Tuesday to to test one out. I, I think renting one is a great idea. We do so well, much hold rental on. stuff. Doesn't doesn't Amazon deliver on Saturdays in Denver? <laughs> oh, Come they on. do. Oh yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Probably. You could probably. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, there's a little peer pressure there. <laughs> I want to hear about it, right? Yeah. I mean, I've heard about it, but then more more sources the better. But no, I'm intrigued. As a matter I, of gonna... fact, I challenge you. Mike, <laughs> I challenge you. So the next podcast, we want to hear your results. <laughs> well, you know, on that note, let's put this out there. I, I think Caleb and I, along with a good buddy of ours, Russell Graves, I, I think. In the next like three or four weeks, if you want to meet up and do a little Fuji, little mashup, little meetup, we'll bring the gear. We'll let you shoot it. It's I'll just put that out there. I'll, I'll, right. fly, I'll fly to Colorado just so you can try the Fuji stuff, Mara. All right. I'm in. I'm in. And I'll even put you on some bigorn sheep, too, that are. It's a deal, man. A nope. Super secret ninja spot. Awesome. <laughs> we'd love to, yeah, we'd love to shoot with you guys. Um, I think like third week in December, we might go down to Colorado and just try to get on some deer and shoot some pigs and. I really want to try the um, the 200 F2 with that doubler and just get close and fill the frame with some deer. So, if we do that and you want and you want to meet up with us, man, we'd love to shoot with you. Yeah, I'm super intrigued about the extenders too, right? Because I I yeah. don't use them. I don't use a 1.4. I don't use I use the 1.4 that's built into the 200 to 400 on the Canon. I love one. that. It works yeah. awesome. It's but I've never been a fan of the attach whatever the 1.4 or the 1.7 yeah. the 2 2x. Yeah. You just always see the degradation of the images and i just not a fan but it sounds like this might be changing i'm the same way it's always been about the boots that's how i get closer just to trust yeah. the image quality but that's you right. know I, you feel these extenders don't impact the image not to the point where it would preclude me from using them no i mean there's going to be some degradation for sure okay but not to the point where it's like oh gosh that that looks terrible no um 
I can I'll, I'll send you guys some files. Uh, you know, with the 200, especially with the 1.4 converter that's bundled with the lens, that gives you, I believe, it's a 427 millimeter f2.8. That's that's a that's a pretty good combo. Yeah. 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 So I mean, if if there's a lens that's made for a 1.4 or even a 2x, a good 2x, it's a it's an f2 lens. I mean, that's you know. When you think about the crop factor of CMOS sensor, and you've got a full 26 megapixels at that crop factor at 2A, I mean, that's, that's just unheard of. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just can't get that anywhere else. So it's pretty neat. It's really neat. So uh, along those lines, for our listeners, we post these podcasts out, and then we'll have a, sh a page that's dedicated to this podcast with images, a little some show notes, and some links. So if you guys would send some images, that would be really cool to be able to show, you know, a lot of what we talked about. So if you could pick and choose some images that would work, people will know that, hey, I can go check this out and actually see an image of what you guys were talking about. Yeah, and even yeah. if you had a little video clip that you could send us, a link to a YouTube video that you might have or a Vimeo video that we could just link to, that would be super cool. Just just because I think there's a lot of people that are in, in Doug and Mark in my position where we're so intrigued, but we just haven't, you know, yeah. you just got to do the research. Yeah, can do. We'd be yeah, in, include a product shot, too, of the actual body, you know. Okay, will do. That's awesome. That's all we have, right, Mark? Do you have any other questions? Well, I want to thank John Hafner and Caleb White for being on the podcast today to shine some light on these Fuji cameras and Grip Media. And if you guys would just take a moment and tell us what your uh, Instagram pages are and your website just to direct people to it will be in the show notes so people can see that on wildandexposed.com but just quickly shout that out if you don't mind john yeah website is gritmedia.org and what's what's your instagram handle uh yeah gritmedia.org and then underscore gritmedia yeah we like i said we we, for, we we teamed up uh early 2018 uh caleb spent nearly a decade probably longer than a decade at a major retailer and we, we we got to shoot together all over the place um africa argentina costa rica uh austria a lot of documentary work so it's uh it's cool to he's been a friend for a long time now it's cool to have him as a business partner not just you know we went from client to business partner and yeah it's been good we, we we've done well so far we've been blessed to uh pick up some great clients and shoot some good campaigns and you know we offer stock photography as well but um the main goal right now is to, is to keep doing commercial work and keep charging ahead. We kind of see ourselves as the guys in the trenches, just working hard and trying to outwork everybody and, and, and just hustle and, and do the best work we can. You know, we, we always feel like our, our best work is, is yet to come. It's, it's, it's the next shoot. It's, it's the next one after that. Like just work hard and improve. And that's kind of our, our mantra. So. Yeah. Well, keep on having fun and, and you do great yeah. work. So what's your personal Instagram? Cause that's, that's a cool thing to follow as well, John. Uh, mine's John Hafner photo. Mine's Caleb with a K, Caleb White. That's Caleb. I just started following you. I saw that you followed uh, Wild and Exposed, so I think yeah. I, I followed you. So good deal. Thanks, guys, so much. Yeah, Thanks guys, for nice to meet you both. Yeah, you as well. Thank you guys so much. Been a, been a big fan of all you guys for a long time. So it was good to good to chat with you. Thank you. Good to meet you guys. Yeah. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, likewise. We'll have to get on set sometime and. Or shoot some wild animals. <laughs> yeah. That'll awesome. be fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna try some of this mirrorless stuff out, and we'll we'll see how it goes. I want to thank John Hafner and Caleb White of Grit Media for joining us today.
And I want to encourage you that no matter what platform you're listening to us on, to take the time to follow and subscribe and to give us a positive review, a thumbs up or a five-star rating, because that helps us to do what we'd love to do and to bring you these podcasts on a regular basis. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.